So I'd like to take to the next level our understanding of the growth mindset. We explained that there's two fundamentally different ways of approaching the vicissitudes which come across us in our lives. We struggle, we've got challenges, we've got constant constant um, series of challenges which, which confront us. And we've got fundamentally two ways of approaching the, the, nature of the, chale- the nature of those challenges. One way would be to stay with the fixed mindset, which would mean to which would mean to um, stay with the fixed mindset, which would mean to approach life a prisoner of my thoughts, anticipating that because I thought it, it will be becoming crushed when reality doesn't match up to my expectation and the story I told myself in my head, feeling broken because I didn't gain the validation that I'd hoped to have gained from the situation, and feeling bound in chains because I have no capacity to change. And underneath that way of thinking is the external drive, the drive for external affirmation because a sense of deep nothingness from within not being in touch with my with myself with my deeper essence with the thing that makes me fundamentally in, in who I am which is my intrinsic self-worth and the growth mindset goes in a very different pathway and advocates a perception of self which is independent of achievement independent independent of talent independent of almost anything that's measurable, quantifiable, and achievable, that my intrinsic worth is because it is. Inside the garage of myself, there is a Rolls-Royce parked. There will be a choice whether I should take it out the garage and drive it. But regardless of whether I take advantage of the opportunity or not, the worth still remains with inside. And therefore, that is unalterable. I can't take that away. It always is there. That provides me with an internal anchor to myself. Recognizing that I can easily mess up and make mistakes. And that life will provide provide me with multiple challenges. But none of those challenges adjust or influence my internal sense of worth. That is a constant which can't be broken. So that's the underlying component of the growth mindset. When I embrace the fact that I have worth, not because of what I do, but because of I am, that gives me the courage to not need to cling on to the story that I've told myself, which is going to protect me from the fall that I anticipate if the story dissolves. Because even if I fall, I'm not broken. I cannot be broken. What can I do from the fall? Well, I can can learn where did I put my foot in the wrong footing which caused me to have the collapse and then I can learn for the future and because I don't need to have a fabricated sense of self because there's a real one inside so therefore I'm open to unlimited potentials to change and therefore my life takes on a very different 
kind of experience when I'm in the growth mindset as opposed to the fixed mindset. And that's something that we've been dwelling on for the last few sessions. I want to go one step further and dabble in the world of spiritual mysticism for a moment. There are two sources which describe the prenatal condition of the fetus within the womb of its mother. What's a fetus doing whilst it develops in those gestation period of nine months inside the mother's womb from a spiritual perspective? Once we acknowledge that there may be a spiritual component to who we are, and we embrace the fact that we have an inviolable sense of eternity that we contain within ourselves, this unbreakable diamond of being that we carry along with us, well, when did that enter into our experience of being? So the Gomorrah says that when a fetus is developing in its mother's womb, it sees from one side of the world to another. The notion of seeing from one side of the world to another means the capacity to grasp the entirety of reality, the entirety of existence. The Gemara goes on to say that the fetus in the womb is given over the entire wisdom all of it, without exception, the entire, the entire gamut of the Jewish spiritual system in the Torah, whilst in the womb. And the fetus, therefore, has the ultimate perception of the reality of the physical world and the ultimate grasp of the reality of the spiritual world. The combining dimensions of understanding the world from its very beginning until its very end and understanding the spiritual realms through the articulation of the Torah from the very beginning to the very end makes this fetus the wisest thing that ever lived and that's every fetus in utero what happens when you're born you forget everything you forget everything what does that mean? Why do you forget everything? The pre-fetal experience, or the fetal experience, sorry, the pre-birth experience, the pre-birth experience allows a very different kind of perception. A perception that isn't accessed through rational thinking or through the mind as we know it. Because there is no mind, there is no thinking, there's no brain. There are also no access to the outside world through senses. So the two components which allow us to process the world around us, the input through our sensory avenues of experience through taste, through sound, through smell, through sight, through touch, they don't exist in the womb, they're not developed. The processing on a cognitive level 
which accompanies that sensory input. The empirical observation, which allows me to sum up from my experience of living how the world operates, those components of self do not function pre-birth. And yet, and yet, this pre-born infant, infant has all the knowledge of the world and all the knowledge of the spiritual system. Well, where is that knowledge contained? It's not in the head and it's not in the world of experience, not in the language of the physical realm. It can only be that this experience of the world, this insight, this wisdom, is contained in a place deeper than the brain, deeper than the thinking mind, and deeper than sensory perception. It's contained in the inner recesses of the deepest level of self. That thing that we may call soul. And the soul has those perceptions, and that's what's happening while the child is in the womb. It's getting, it's becoming enlightened into the ultimate reality of everything. And when that child is born, it forgets everything. What is that process of forgetting? The process of forgetting is that that inner world, which is still there after birth, has now become blocked. It's been become inaccessible because now the rational mind and the senses have begun to operate. And the noise of the logical thinking and sensory experience drowns out the quiet inner voice of self, blocking the perception, the insight, the wisdom that's intrinsically a gift to each and every one of us. And therefore, a person who whose brain has stopped to work and whose senses have stopped to function but is held in this world by a life support system in a certain way has returned to a deeper state of awareness and consciousness or perception than a person who is fully conscious and engaged in the processing of the myriad sensory experiences of each and every moment that we find ourselves in. And therefore what happens is the brain and its thinking is a block fundamentally to spiritual perception and not an assistance. And the physical world does not aid or abet the process of inner perception but obstructs and sabotages. And therefore... With this spiritual insight, one can essentially look at the process of birth in a certain way as a process of death. Because the deepest insight and wisdom ceases to be as the loud noise of the external world overpowers the internal experience. It's a little bit analogous to if I would take a I take my phone 
back to the 1800s and go explore a uncharted territory and come across in a forest far, far away a group of people who've never been exposed to the technology because they are predating it. But I've traveled in time, got my phone, my phone still works, there's still reception. <laughs> reception also traveled in time. Or maybe I just downloaded some videos. Let's go with that. I'll go with the perception. And I show them a movie on my phone. They look at the moving pictures and they see the tiny people trapped in this container. And they feel that they're threatened. They feel that they're demons. So they destroy them. They smash them with an axe. And then they say, the demons have gone. But all I need to do is take out my other phone, because I always take two. And boom, the demons come back again. Because there are invisible waves which are transmitting these demons through the air as we speak. And as you and I and all of us together consult in this room, this, the air is filled with enormous amounts of cable TV, social media. In this, in this, here, I can feel TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, YouTube Shorts. Yeah, there you are. It's all there. It's all there. And all the, what I'm doing with the machine is I'm receiving an invisible wave. An invisible transmission. So if I destroy the machine, the transmission's still there. Nothing happened. We are the receivers. We the machines. We the phones. We're just manifestations of energy forces. Destroy the manifestation, the energy force is still alive and kicking. You can't destroy the energy force. You can take away the screen. So it's invisible. So let's go a little bit further. So one second. Here we go. So the insight that we have is not helped by rational mind, by blocked, blocked by it. In other words, this busy thing called our mind, chattering the whole time, always there, is just static and interference to true insight into self. So then maybe the pathway for us is to spend our time deeply involved in meditation, quietening our mind until we've stilled it completely and then we can start to hear the messages of our inner self. Which would seem a little bit of a deviation from the spiritual path that we tread. Rashi tastes a steigen away. Why would we why would we do that? Surely the more that we invest ourselves in the cultivation of our cognitive components, we're just broadening the gap between us and ourselves. Why would we engage in these seemingly ritualistic performance of mitzvahs if by becoming more connected to the senses we become more separated from the self? So once we have this image of an inner self 
that's blocked by thinking and doing, one would think that the pathway to discover the wisdom that's contained within the inner self comes from stopping to do and stopping to think. And there are many spiritual disciplines which take that pathway. Ours doesn't. Why not? Do you have the question? So this question is, is not my question. This question is coming from Rav Desla. It comes out that we are imprisoned in a physical body that blocks the channels of internal awareness. When, after we die, and we are freed from the imprisonment of the body, we return to that deep perception because we've been freed from the prison so why is our why is our work why is our work in toiling in the mind why is our work in touching, feeling, smelling eating, walking, doing laying Surely those things apprehend and arrest this process of inner communication to our deepest possible self. Problem, 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 problem. Why don't we pursue a path of ascetic existence, finding ourselves an isolated spot in the desert and meditating for hours and hours on end to quieten the mind and still the senses? Surely that would be the way to go since we acknowledge that the inner wisdom that's contained is obstructed by the sensory input that we have and the thinking that clouds our minds. Oh my gosh, what? Should we do? Comprende? Okay. 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 So we have to reposition ourselves in terms of understanding what is the purpose of Torah and what is the purpose of mitzvahs. We have to rethink what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on. So let's think a little bit more deeply into what kind of thinking will act as an obstruction and what kind of engagement in the physical will become a barrier towards internal insight. One could argue that a kind of thinking which is based on extrapolations from the physical world is an abstract embodiment of materialism. I know there was a string of big words put together in a long sentence, so I'm going to try to say it again in slightly more comprehensible terms.
terms. Like this. If I discover photosynthesis, which is an immensely complex process that I myself have no idea how it works. It's from observing the leaf, studying its atomic composition, theorizing as to the relationship of the sunlight's impact on the chlorophyll and the generation of food from energy, which is the opposite direction to what we do, which is energy from food. And I articulate that in my theory of photosynthesis. With its complexity and brilliance, it is an articulation in an abstract form of a very physical process. And hence, in its quality, it is fundamentally material, bearing the boundaries of the natural world from which it stems. And therefore, the most sophisticated, advanced theories and observations of the worlds of science are only ultimately material. The material in its essence blocks the spiritual perception. So therefore that kind of thinking is going to act as a hampering of my perception of self. But what would be what would be if in the nature of the thinking itself it was describing the spiritual territory which is the natural habitat of the soul. Then a very different kind of process would occur. Instead of the cognitive mind becoming an obstruction to internal perception, it would become a tool and powerful insight, an instrument of accessing the internal perception within deep of ourselves. The material, in its own right, is obstructive when it's for its own sake. But what would be if I was utilizing the material to tread an invisible spiritual line which only the soul could see? Then the material would become essentially the servant of the soul. And the brain, its computer. And then there would be this incredible alignment between in and outer worlds. And no longer would the thinking mind act as a barrier, but as a facilitator. No longer would the physical body act as an obstruction, but as a channel of expression. And then, by incorporating my mind, my body, and every thought, feeling, and action into this highly sophisticated spiritual system, instead of me keeping my inner self, my inner soul, trapped behind the barriers of thought and action, it will be liberated through them. And I, as a person, will not be a disembodied, half spiritual, half physical, Gaining insight through ascetism by separating further and further from the body until the body doesn't have an opinion, neither does the mind, and becoming completely suffused with the, the, the energy of insight. But rather, I will become a walking, breathing reality 
of spiritual light even through my thinking, being, doings, smushing, and other stuff. And that would be the way that we perceive our relationship to Torah and mitzvahs. They are in fact facilitators to extract the deep insight that's buried within us to an external expression. And to navigate the territory of the soul through insight and wisdom. And therefore the origin of Torah and the origin of mitzvahs has to come from a place beyond empirical observation. It has to be super rational. Because once it delves and dives deep into the rational world, it becomes an obstruction, not a facilitator. And that's something that we can reflect upon in our lives. Boom.